0: You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. I would like to encourage you to follow along with me and maybe even read with me. I'm in the ESV version, which means extra saved version, or eternally saved version, or however. I know that there's some of us who love to argue about what version is better than the other so if you want to read out of the king james version which sounds beautiful when you're reading the 23rd psalm you go right ahead um whatever version you have in front of you Um, alternatively there's going to be a version on the screen that you can read from with me too we'd like to encourage you to read along with me as best you can it's beginning in verse one the lord is my shepherd i shall not want my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So This is the word of God for the people of God this morning. Let me pray. Father, we ask that you would come now and uh, speak to us through this psalm, a psalm that no doubt is very familiar to us. We ask God that you would come and And do just what this psalm tells us you do, which is to come and and give us satisfaction in areas where we feel need, give us rest and give us peace, give our hearts restoration and wholeness. Help us to uh, to rest in the promise of this psalm. That if we've trusted in you, if we really can look at you and confess that you, Father, are our good shepherd, then. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives, and then we'll dwell in your house, in your presence, forever. I ask that you would come and do that, and far more. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. 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 You may be seated. The 23rd Psalm, perhaps um, one of the um, probably most well-known passages in all the Bible, by my estimation, um, often recited at the bedside of loved ones, uh, final days of life on this earth when they're in the hospital, oftentimes typically uh, recited again during funeral. Um, sometimes it's recited uh, at home, next to the bed with with children, maybe it's memorized uh, throughout some of the most difficult seasons of our lives. It's just a, it's a common psalm. We We know it, even if you're not a churchgoer or didn't grow up in church. It's it's something that we've heard. Um, Lines from this psalm have made it into many secular, if there's um, truth in the idea of the secular versus the sacred, um, the the lines from this psalm have made it into many songs, art outside of the church, so to speak. Um, As some writers commenting, scholars, guys who have letters after their names, certificates on their walls, and are much smarter than me, um, have written that, that this psalm uh, is, is, is probably more of an inside look at the intimate relationship between King David and God, right? seem to be true as you, as you read it. Um, others would even give a possibility that maybe this psalm is an inside look at the intimate relationship between uh, Jesus and his father during the crucifixion. It would be easy, I think, for us to land that Jesus probably had this psalm on his mind. Uh, whether David was writing prophetically in advance of that and showing that or not, um, it's possible. Um, I don't think it's impossible. I don't think it's impossible at all to say that both are probably true. Um, I would agree with some scholars who say that the 23rd psalm uh, was written by King David for sure. Uh, but it was written about King Jesus uh, for the benefit of God's children. So I think if you kind of grasp that nugget, uh, I think it would probably help us as, you, as we track our way through. The 23rd Psalm written by King David about King Jesus uh, for the benefit of God's children. <laughs> the reality here. Um, Is that when the Israelites would sing this song? And if you didn't know this already, that the Psalms are the hymn book of the the, the earlier church, they're the, the hymn book of the nation of Israel. They would sing these songs. So when the Israelites would sing this song in their worship gatherings, here's what they would be reminded of. Just like we were just reminded that, Lord, I need you, the Israelites would have been reminded that because God was watching over their king, King David. Because God was watching over him, then he was also watching over them. Uh, In in, in Israel's uh, kind of social system, uh, the idea was that if King David prospered as an under-shepherd of our great shepherd God, then Israel itself would also be prosperous. You might think of this like a family, when things are going well in the family, right? Um, typically when mom and dad are doing well, kids are doing well, uh, or vice versa. In this case, God himself is the true shepherd over all of his people, and therefore by singing this psalm, they would be reminded that all of God's children... From Those from the highest positions of power, like King David, all the way down to the poorest members of the community who didn't even make the, the membership roll, so to speak, they could all take comfort in this truth, that God himself is caring for each of us like the precious and redeemed sheep that we are, if God is our good shepherd. And that's probably the caveat, right? What's the first thing we see the psalm is saying, first thing they would have sung, simply, God is my shepherd. Right? The first thing we notice in verse 1. Now the image of God as our shepherd is a common image all throughout the scriptures, but it's not an image that we in our Western culture immediately connect with. Right. I don't, there's not many literal shepherds in this room, if any. Some of us have livestock. And some of us have experience with livestock. Um, it's hard for us, I think, in our context to immediately feel the very deep sense of care or the deep sense of comfort um, that would come from recognizing that God is our good shepherd and, and because he's our good shepherd, we, we shall not want, or, or better yet, we shall not have any need. But The reality... When it comes to shepherding is that a shepherd is responsible for four things. Knowing, leading, feeding, and protecting the flock. I'm going to say it one more time. And, and if you, you can see it all over this passage. A shepherd is to know his sheep. He's to lead his sheep. He's to feed his sheep and protect his sheep. A good shepherd uh, would labor hard to know the unique needs and the unique wounds or the unique character traits of each individual under his care, okay? That would be the knowing aspect. He would labor for untold amounts of hours, unseen hours, while the sheep are actually just sleeping in the field, right? Would just labor hard to figure out where to lead them next. Right? Want to lead them in a direction that would maximize their ability to grow into healthy and well nurtured sheep. This is the labor of a shepherd. He would then strategically lead that flock, his sheep, into places where they could feed themselves, where they could actually eat something good. And then in the midst of that, he would also be constantly fighting off predators that would seek to devour those who were under his care. Now, there's a, a direct correlation that we're not going to get into much today between the shepherding of actual sheep and the labor of any person who carries the mantle and title of pastor, elder, bishop, shepherd. All those mean the same thing. Um, that's the work of a shepherd. Shepherding's not a nine to five job. I used to work a nine to five job. I hunt sheetrock and I finished sheetrock. The great thing about hating sheetrock and finishing sheetrock, number one is you can put holes in it when you get mad at it. <laughs> and then you can tape it back up and nobody will ever know. And it's an inanimate object, right? Um, the other great thing about doing sheetrock, the nine to five type of a job, even if it required more hours some weeks because the workload was heavier, was you could go home, I could go home, and the sheetrock stayed there. And the sheetrock doesn't call you. The sheetrock has no needs, okay? The sheetrock just sits there patiently waiting, mouth shut, waiting for you to come back and put more mud and tape on it the next day and sand it. Shepherding is not a nine to five job. A literal shepherd spends lots of time with his sheep. It's a 24-7 calling. Uh, You think about the story of David and when uh, the prophet came and found him. Where was he? When he came and anointed him to be king. Does anybody know where he was? He was with his sheep, yeah. You know where his other brothers were? The answer is not with the sheep. You know why? Because David was the shepherd. The other boys weren't. So there's a distinction even from a leadership standpoint that there are some who are shepherds and some who are not, right? David was a shepherd. He understood this. He lived it. It's a 24-7 calling. He lived out in the fields with his sheep. So when David proclaims, that God is his shepherd, and therefore he has no need, he's simply saying that God doesn't work a nine-to-five job. God works 24-7. We all go, duh. But it's true. I don't think it's a hard connection for us to make some days. right? We wonder, where's God at in the midst of this, right? David is saying, God, my good shepherd is working 24 hours a day Seven days a week, 365 days a year. I always love to tell people that when I take a day off, I'm still working as a shepherd, as a pastor. Why? Because Why I'm modeling what it looks like to take a, a day off as a shepherd. It's an interesting concept when you think about it. But I literally am resting that day. God, on the other hand, he rested one day, right? After, in, in the midst of creation. What that doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that God stopped caring for the world. God didn't stop holding up the world. If he had stopped literally everything, what would happen? God rested as a model for us from a certain kind of labor. David is saying, God is a good shepherd who works 24 hours a day, seven days a week. He knows his children intimately. He leads his children wisely, right? He provides spiritual, physical nourishment, bountifully for all of us, whether we want it or not. The problem with sheep is that sheep like to eat bad stuff. Sheep don't like to eat the good stuff that's put in front of them. They constantly kick out the fence and sneak underneath and go look for something else. And then when the shepherd comes to them and says, yo, shouldn't shouldn't eat that, what do you think the sheep does? Sometimes kicks, sometimes stomps on their feet. My mom had llamas when I was a kid that's big jump from sheep to llamas I know. (laughs) My mom had llamas. Llamas have rather than flat feet like a cow or a horse which we also had, um, llamas had these split pointed hooves and llamas don't just like accidentally step on your feet they use their feet as weapons and they and they and they stomp on your foot intentionally. So my mom's trying to get this llama to eat good food and the llama's mad because what the llama wants to eat for some crazy reason is all this food that is mixed in with its crap. And my mom is like, why would you want to eat? You're going to get sick. And the llama, for some reason, in its mind is like, I want this. So my mom's over there trying to get this llama over to make it feed eat what it should eat. Llama stomps on her foot, breaks like five bones in the top of her foot, and for the next two years she limps around because of it. It was an image of shepherding. I mean you think about the way that that llama hurts my mom who's trying to shepherd her think about the way that that our Resistance and refusal of God Hurts him doesn't break his feet breaks his heart right But God works 24 7 Providing nourishment for us providing protection. You know what protection is boundaries Boundaries are fences around sheep that keep them in a healthy and safe place So God gives us those, gives us sheep pens, so to speak, that we can live in. What are those sheep pens? Well, one of them is the church. That's a sheep pen. We come into the fold, right? And we're protected by being a part of the church, by being participants in a church family. Small groups are also a picture of some of those sheep pens and boundaries. There's fences around the edges. It says we will behave and act and live in this way, so on and so forth. There's probably many more that I could run off on, but God has given us plenty of boundaries to live within so that we might be protected. Think about the instructions of His Word. The instructions of His Word are meant to warn us, rebuke us, teach us, challenge us, draw us back from our wandering, help us to live rightly. All of that is underneath this first verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want That's the proclamation of a heart that trusts the Good Shepherd completely. So I have a question for you to maybe write down or put in your mind. Where are you, right now, having trouble trusting the Good Shepherd completely? Where are you having trouble trusting the Good Shepherd completely? Is it some kind of physical provision? Some kind of conflict in your family? Some kind of issue, promotion at work? Shortage at work, some addiction you've been wrestling with for a long time that you're just going, it's, it's hard to trust God in this right now. Where are you having trouble trusting the Good Shepherd completely? Look at the second thing. Psalmist says, God makes me rest and leads me into peace. Right? This is verse 2. when David says that God makes me love that. You go back and you do the Hebrew. This is the best translation for it. He makes me. It's not like he just goes, hey, you should. No, he makes me. Makes me lie down in green pastures. And when David says that he leads me beside still waters, what David is doing is he's proclaiming the sovereignty of God in his shepherdly care. He's proclaiming the sovereign work of God in giving rest and peace to very weary souls right so think about the image of a sheep lying down in a green pasture if you close your eyes and visualize that it's fine a sheep lying down in a green pasture resting slowly walking alongside a quiet stream of water that is the picture of a child who is well fed and able to rest peacefully anybody here ever have children Anybody here have currently have children babies you have babies you were ever a baby. Maybe you're my age, and you're still like a baby I am when I don't get food Right when I have not eaten all day because I've gotten too busy and I haven't taken care of myself My wife will often say it's 11 o'clock at night. You've been working all day. You haven't eaten. What do I need to get you to eat? Oftentimes I'm like I just just need to go to bed No, there's there's not going to be any sleeping unless I fill my belly, right? Because inside, I'm empty. And I need something inside of me to fill me up. I need to be nourished. So you think of a baby who has not eaten. What do they do? They throw fits. They cry. They stay up. They don't rest. They don't get peace. Now, for me, when I walk through seasons where I don't feel peace, I feel conflict or I feel anxiety anybody here familiar with conflict and anxiety I'm pretty certain we probably all are in many ways right I mean the world's full of it actually there's a book written about how the entire American system the world that we live in is built on a sense of anxiety worry fear fascinating read if you ever want to read it built into our systems everything's driven by fear um, there is a way to step outside of that system and just be a leader who just leads from a place of self-assurance and rest on God. That's the book in a nutshell. Um, I want to read it. Look me up. I'll get you the title later. I don't have it in my head. I know what it's like to experience deep conflict or deep anxiety. And, and, and at times, the temptation, the, the default temptation for me, like there's this broken wiring inside me, right? I'm, I still have sin in me, right? The default wiring in my soul is to look for some kind of peace. And the way that in my mind, my broken heart says, The way to maintain a sense of peace or to gain that sense of peace is to maintain control over said situation, over said person. Um, It can be really easy for me to believe that my soul is going to find rest if I can clear away whatever is causing me to feel uncomfortable. Anybody understand what I'm talking about? You feel really uncomfortable about something and it's just like, if I could just stick that in a box, fold it up, stick it in the corner, I don't have to think about it anymore. If I don't have to think about it, I now have peace. So that's two sides of the spectrum, okay? One is you're going to aggressively attack the situation. We're going to get through this, yada, yada. The other one is, nah, nah, bro, nah, sis. Just going to forget, right? It's the aggressive to passive pendulum swing. So we all struggle with this because one way or the other, God wired us uniquely in those ways, and then certain broken pieces inside of us cause us to react and respond in those ways right maybe it's when you feel uncomfortable maybe it's when you feel helpless maybe it's when you feel fearful right or maybe it's when you just feel simply unwanted or unlovable in those moments we have a sense of going one direction to the other here's the reality your stability and my stability your peace and my peace it was never meant to be attached to my ability or your ability in the first place it's funny because when you think of the word stability it's like stable ability if you were to think about it that way Um, (laughs) my stability your stability was not meant to be attached to your ability or my effort or my ability either doesn't mean we don't put effort in the reality biblically as you look through the scriptures and you understand the gospel is that my ability your ability to actually rest in peace That ability is found only in the presence of a crucified, risen, and returning king who actually, interestingly, is also pictured as a sacrificial lamb, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and the good shepherd who watches over us. It's found in the presence of Jesus. And, And the place to find that, and I say this every week because it's intentional, right? The place to find that is where? The foot of the bloody cross, the door of an empty tomb, holding on to this note that we have. It's this promise, the hope of heaven, that this place that we live in, this is not the last. And death doesn't get the final word, right? That's where God, the good shepherd, makes me rest and leads me into peace. So, question, what would it look like for you to submit to the good shepherd and find rest and peace? I don't know where it is that you're struggling with that right now. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a lack of a relationship. Um, again, maybe it's some kind of provision in your home or uh, or provision in your job. Um, whatever it is, maybe it's your kids are just absolutely batty, right? Whatever it is, maybe it's the desire to have a kid. I don't know where it is inside of you where you're feeling like I don't have any rest. I don't have any peace. What would it look like for you to submit to God? Not try to control. And not try to just passively ignore, but actually submit to God and say, "I, mean, I want to find my peace and my rest in You." What is the third thing that uh, the psalmist says? God, he says, God restores me and leads me into right living. It's <coughs> a great phrase. God restores me and leads me into right living. What David literally says in verse three is that God restores my soul. And leads me in paths of righteousness, uh, not so that my life will be better, right? Although that's a default piece, but that's not the reason God leads us in paths of righteousness. What does it say? It says, for his name's sake. Who's the his? Well, it's not Will, right? And it's not Joe Marino. It's not, it's not for my name's sake, right? It's not for David's name's sake that he's writing this. It's for his name. It's for God's name's sake. What this is meant to remind us of is that God is the faithful shepherd who leaves the 99 and he chases down that one lost sheep. And then what does he do? He restores that sheep back to the sheep pen and then he continues to lead that flock of sheep, that one lost sheep who's now restored, in the right direction. Why? So that his own name as a shepherd is made famous. Have you ever just even seen some of those shows on TV where... uh, they're like animal rescue shows where people have, like, been treating their animals really poorly. And you feel bad for that sheep, right? Animal, sheep, if there's sheep on there, dogs, cats, whatever it may be on those shows. And they walk into the house, and the, and the house is an absolutely disgusting pigsty, it's a mess, right? There's feces all over the place, and the animals are so thin. What do you feel? You feel anger towards the, the owner, the person who was supposed to take care of them, right? And then you feel pity, and you want, to, you want to rush out there, and you want to help. You want to save those animals that have been poorly abused. Right? You want justice on the one hand. You want to kill the person who treated these animals this way. Right? Some of us do. Maybe not all of us. Maybe some of us are more sanctified than others and do like to kill people. But I'm Italian, so there's still no excuse for that. So I'm supposed to be redeemed anyways kill somebody and then you want to rescue you want to save those animals that have been abused and that brings in the heart of who God is as our Shepherd this is what he does well, you go back to that image again what is that what does that tell you the reputation of that person who treated those animals that way in that house The reputation of that person is a bunch of hogwash right like not a good reputation you ever thought about the reputation of God in, in, in what this text is saying? Think about the reputation of God and how his reputation throughout the world is often attached to the lifestyles of those who claim to belong to him. You can kind of tie it around that way as well. I wrestle with this. I'm going to take a minute and spend, spend a moment here. I wrestle with this because of the guy that wrote this. Like, we all can look, with this conversation, we've all had a lot. You, you can look all over the Christian church today and find guys that are absolute, I, I got no word that I can say in a pulpit. It's just bad guys. Okay, bad shepherds there. Guys that, that do not have the character to be leading, be shepherding, right? Men who have melted the church down, so to speak. Men who have done horrifying things guys who have preached things from the pulpit, guys who have abused their people, so on and so forth. But the guy that wrote this is David. I always struggle with this story, right? Because he's writing this, and we're reading this. We're reading what David wrote because, well, in our minds, like God inspired this. True. but God used a man who was lazily sitting on top of his house and saw this naked woman and then used his power and authority to effectively rape her. That's, what, that's the story, and that dude writes this. And yet many of us are like, well, I don't think that, I don't think that the bookstores should carry that guy's books anymore. I don't think I'm going to read those. Right? We've had this conversation, Will. I don't think we should read those books anymore because I mean, Robbie Zachariah did what with all these girls? And yada, yada, yada. How do, you, how do you wrestle all that to the ground? Right? Like there's a lot of tension there. I've got books on my shelves by guys that I won't listen to their sermons anymore. I might go back to those books and reference them. But here's the truth. You and I are no different than any of those guys, right? Yeah. Isn't, that, isn't that right? Isn't that true? We're no different than David at the end of the day. That, actually, when I wrestle with the tension there, this is where I get to. I go, okay, God I actually thank God? <laughs> thank God you, you, you used David to write this. Thank God that a dude who did that to that woman, and then even at the end of his life, who apparently was like restored back to the church again, was still leading the nation of Israel, right? What did he do? Put out a hit on two dudes that crossed him. Hey yo, son. When you take over, go take those two. I mean, that's gangster. That's all there is to it. That's that's not a suit and tie, prim and pretty on Sunday morning. Okay, dude's leading a massive church. If you ask me, Israel is huge, and he's the lead guy. The last thing he does is take those two guys out. What does this do for the reputation of God? What does this do for the reputation of God? I think in my mind what it does, especially when you come back around to the gospel, is it shows us how great and powerful our God is, right? He takes guys and women. He takes people, sheep, from really, really dark, dirty, gross places, and he says, you're going to be my image bearer inside of a community where there are others who need to be reached. I'm going to restore you, and my reputation is going to go before you through you, like that it blows my mind. That's transformation. That's what God does. So David, David, who definitely was a broken and sinful man if there ever was one, he's able to proclaim here that God had restored him from his sinful wandering away. And then God was leading him to live rightly in front of the entire watching world for the sake of God's own reputation alone. God's reputation that's at stake. And God's the one who takes the risk on that. If there's anything that seems reckless about God, it would be that. I always have to get that one in there. You think about your own life. Is there anything really too deep, dark, and dirty that has happened in your life that you have indulged in and engaged in that could actually stop the power of God using you? Or taking you into a place of, of leadership or service in this community or this church family that I mean, if you think so, then you're limiting the power of God. I don't think that's a good place for us to be. I don't think we ought to try to limit the power of God. When I think about these truths, when I think about this thing about God's reputation, I, I want to consistently think about what kinds of thoughts or behaviors um, the good shepherd is wanting to restore in me right now. It's not like I reach a place of perfection, right? I keep striving towards that. What thoughts or behaviors is the good shepherd wanting to restore in you right now? Look at the fourth thing. The psalmist says, he says, God removes my fear with his presence. God removes my fear with his presence. David says it this way in verse 4. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, before I get into what I have on my notes, when you read the Psalms, they're, they're Hebrew poetry. Um, they're line upon line. Line one makes a statement. Line two um, builds that statement out more through some form of language use, like contrast or synonymous language, so on and so forth. There's, there's a whole bunch of other fascinating stuff when it comes to Hebrew. Um, poetry, it's a poetic song. Um, but that, suffice to say, that's probably good enough. To kind of get the point across if you were to if you're look, if you look in your Bible it's probably laid out that way um, our translations have tried hard to kind of lay it out line for line and the idea is is you're not supposed to read one line without the other because both lines um, have a tendency to bring out the full meaning okay so let me let me kind of illustrate really really fast even though I walk through the valley of the shallow death I will fear no evil for you are with me and, and I would just stop there right God is with me. He's like uh, a big fluffy Santa Claus. He's with me everywhere. It's this big, rosy, fuzzy feeling. You know, you, it's like that one dude on, on TV, whatever, his Joe Osteen, right, he holds his Bible up, and you know, I believe what it says, it says, and yada, yada, yada. Right? It's this big, smiley, fluffy face. Right? <laughs> I have a fluffy face. <laughs> Joe Osteen does not. It's fluffy theology, and then a fluffy face. Yeah, it does have flippy hair. <laughs> that would be common. It would be common for us, too. You know, you do the, and, and I do this, too, so don't, don't get me wrong. I have days where I wake up, and I'm just like, Jesus, please give me something to read. My tongue sticks to my jaws. Oh, it's true. My tongue does stick to my jaws because, I mean, this is Psalm 22, <laughs> 15. And we do this, right? We open God's word. We go, God, please speak to us. I mean, early in the morning, if I read that, I would say, yeah, that's true. God must be speaking. Holy cow. My tongue sticks to It's early. I haven't brushed my teeth yet. It's gross. <laughs> See how easy this is? <laughs> I dropped my Bible. Please don't send me emails later about how I abused my Bible. <laughs> we do all these weird things with the Bible. <laughs> Dropping them. We do these weird things. We, we read just the one line and we just go, God, it's so true. Jesus. This is true. But Let me ask you this question. What kind of presence do you think God has with you? When you say God is with me, I will fear no evil. You, God, you're with me. What kind of presence? Well, the very next line tells us what kind of presence. The very next line says, "Your rod and your staff, they comfort me." Now, this is interesting because if you've ever seen the rod and the staff, the rod is this short baseball bat-looking thing, which I thought about carrying for a while. This little billy bat thing. You can on a motorcycle, you can actually put a little sheath up there for it and stick it in. And if anybody ever bothers you, anyways. That's the rod. Um, staff. Staff typically is kind of a lawn walking staff with a crook on the end, OK? Both of those are meant for something. The rod, little billy bat, is meant to do what? It's to fight off predators. <gasps> you would hurt something? Yes, a shepherd would hurt something or somebody if they came after their sheep, right? <coughs> the staff that you would walk with with the crook over the end number one it would help you to walk (laughs) you just hold yourself up on it right so you get this this is God's presence God's presence means I can hold myself up God's presence means I can fight off enemies right I mean God's presence means all sorts of things but this is what brings David comfort to know that his God is there protecting him by all means necessary and that his God has this long staff so that when he gets a long ways away and he's sleeping with the chick from next door just like we saw in David's story David sends a prophet named Nathan after him and says yo bro you should get your act together and he uses the crook on the end of that and he pulls him back from the edge of the cliff that he just jumped off of and hanging by a toenail probably not a toenail probably a fingernail right? comes and grabs him with that that's the kind of presence that David says this brings me comfort You see, the roads of this life, they're not always smooth sailing, are they? Sometimes there are really deep ditches. There's massive potholes. There's unforeseen debris in the road. There's winding little twists and turns. Sometimes there's really big, massive storms that make the road really hard to see. And in those moments when the road gets rough, it's easy to wonder, where is God in this? And what David does is he claims that God is there. He's present He's leading us through the valleys. He's with us when death haunts us. His rod of protection, that short little billy club. His staff of instruction, it's corrective. That's his word. It keeps us safe. Gives us direction when Satan condemns. Gives us direction when sin tempts. See God's rod of protection and his staff of instruction These are kind of like, you might think of them like tires on your car, okay, when you think about the rod and the staff. I feel fairly comfortable when I know that my tires on my car are in good shape, right, comfortable. When they're in bad shape, I start to worry a little bit, like I wonder if it's going to keep me on the road or not. Tires on the car keep us heading in a certain direction and they also protect us from spinning out of control, right, when the road gets rough, Satan, sin, and death unleash their fury on our lives? See, in spiritual terms, this is where God's Word comes into play an awful lot. God's Word is our, our, our biggest basic form of His rod and His staff. We have it. It's, it's right here. And God's Word is meant to be a lamp for our feet on the pathway. It's meant to correct our sinful living, meant to provide boundaries between what is right and what is wrong so that we don't have to face the consequences of driving outside the lines and off the cliff of our sinfulness, Right? Like, there's great comfort in knowing that the God who restores me from my sinful wandering, he also walks with me on this journey called life. And what does he do? He protects and he corrects and he guides my footsteps. question for all of us as we read this part and we think about this point is that, gosh, am I actually actively listening? I love putting those two words together. I think the teachers in the room love to do that too, Right? Actively listening, not passively listening, right? We don't need jellyfish who are just sitting back like, hey. right? We need people who are like, yeah, okay, oh, let me write that down. Oh, I need to do this. Actively listening—it's learning, right? It's participating with our ears. Am I actively listening to the Good Shepherd, or am I just passively nodding my head, like a bobblehead doll on a dash? Right? We're good at that. We're better at that because it looks like we're doing something. Am I actively listening to the Good Shepherd or am I passively nodding my head? Think about this fifth thing that the psalmist says. God provides abundantly despite my enemies. So when David says of God in verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup is overflowing. What's he saying? He's simply stating that God provides abundantly despite my enemies. Now, if you want an image for this that might go along with the whole shepherd-sheep analogy, this is a picture of a child of God uh, sitting at a fully furnished banquet table. There is one way off in the future for those who are followers of Christ, right? It's banquet mm-hmm. banquet table of Jesus. Um, this could definitely point towards that. But it's that picture. You're sitting at this fully furnished banquet. it has got all the food you could possibly eat. In my case, it's It's barbecue ribs. It's um, you know it's ribeyes and steaks, boxes of cigars, and good drink, good drink, not bad drink. Um, Just sit at that banquet table. You're in complete comfort and complete peace, but your enemies are just prowling around. But you got no problems. You're chowing down on the food. You're drinking the drink, you're enjoying Jesus' presence, and your enemies are walking around you, you're almost just like laughing at them. Like, what? Are you got nothing? Right? It's that kind of rest and peace in and amongst our enemies, knowing you're done. Those three words, it is finished. Applies to you, <laughs> it applies to me too. You are finished, and my salvation is finished, therefore I can eat and I can drink and I can be relaxed and I can live in peace peace and comfort that's the picture that's happening here if you go back to the shepherd and the sheep analogy the enemies of the sheep were these okay now again if we don't know sheep this is important for us to understand because I think it brings some of the meaning home the enemies of the sheep are these little flies these little gnats they would burrow down into the head skin and the ears of the sheep and part of a shepherd's job was to constantly move him on the sheep and pull out that infection, scrape the infection out. Now, you want to apply this to leadership and pastoral ministry? It, there's lots of analogies here, right? Well, let's just think about what God does for us in this. A shepherd would pull out all those gnats and in those, those infected little spots, would scrub them up and clean them up, right? Would just make his way from one sheep to the next till he came back around, started over again with number one, move down to 100, Whatever. And in the midst, as he was doing that, he would also apply some kind of, uh, you know, uh, essential oil of some kind to their head and to those ears. (coughs) And what that essential oil would do is he would apply it and he would rub it on there is it would keep more of those enemies, the gnats and the flies and so on and so forth, away. Why? So they could dine in peace. Okay, you ever try to uh, eat food while you're out camping? Men, I know we just did this. So it wasn't so bad mosquito-wise. But here's what I can tell you. If I don't have my bug repellent, on, and I'm trying to eat food, I spend more of my time swatting my hand at invisible rodents or whatever they are that are trying to like suck my blood out, right? Uh, What happens is over a certain course of time, if you don't get some bug repellent on, you get angry, don't you? I mean, I know there's some of you in here that probably don't struggle with anger, at least you don't show it on the outside. But you get angry. You get uncomfortable. You get frustrated. And then now you're hungry and you're angry and you're frustrated. I think they call that hangry, right? Yeah, those little bloodsuckers are enemies. And what the psalmist is saying is, hey, my God is such a good shepherd that he's taking care of my enemies. They can fly all over my head, doesn't matter. And they're not going to bite me. They're not even bothering me. They got nothing because it's finished, right? Because they're finished. Hmm. you think for a minute about the nature of feasting on God's word. Like, this is, this is our feast right now. This is what helps us to behold the crucified, risen, returning Savior, right? It's all over here. Problem is, we like to take guys like David and turn him into this hero. We take guys like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and make him into our little human heroes. And, and we preach moralism. We go, you should be more like them. Shame on you for not being more like them, right? We do that. And then we, so then we start feasting on things that <laughs> this Bible was never meant to be about. And then we don't have any bug repellent. Because just telling me that I ought to be more like David, or I be more like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there's no power in that. They failed. Why would I want to be like failures? I'm already a failure too. Well, actually, I should correct that, because you and I aren't failures. We fail at things. We're saints in Christ Jesus. See, the gospel turns that around, right? I got all sorts of bunny trails for us this morning. This is our feast. So what is it that like, stops you from putting on fly ointment? I mean, this is the oil that you need to have over you. I think it's the power of God's Word and the power of the Spirit at work in us that holds Satan, sin, and death at bay while we feast in peace then, right? On the other hand, when you constantly sit down at the table, think about this. If you're constantly sitting down at the table and you're just feasting arm in arm with Satan and sin and death, like you're just loving that company, then you're not going to have any desire to feast on God's word. You've already chosen the enemy. That's what you've done, right? And then you have no enemy repelling on. And now your love for God's word goes away. The psalmist, David here, he's saying, God has provided an abundant feast for me in the presence of my enemies. My head, my heart, my hands, they've been anointed by the presence of the Holy Spirit. My cup, my life is overflowing with the presence of God. Right? And because of that, I can actually feast in peace. I can be nurtured in the, the abundance of the presence of the crucified, risen, and returning Savior. And so the question on this one is this. Like, What have I been feasting on? What have I been feasting on? What have I done with the repellent that has been provided to me? It's been given to me. What have I done with that? final thing we see David say is that God promises me eternal life with him. The thing about this psalm is it's really personal, right? All the language is very personal between him and his God. This is a relationship. It would be like me telling you about this lady named Christy. Yeah. She likes to ride a motorcycle. She has a concealed carry permit, so you probably shouldn't mess with her. Um, uh, whatever. Yeah, she wears glasses. And when she eats Arby's sandwiches, I mean, I had never eaten Arby's. Never eaten Arby's my, my entire life. See, now I'm switching. See how I'm switching from just telling you about somebody to now telling you about my personal experience with somebody? You see the difference? I would never eaten Arby's <laughs> until I met her. I grew up poor. This is why. OK, my mom didn't take us to Arby's. And she loves Arby's. So we went to Arby's. She gets herself a beef and cheddar sandwich with an extra side of cheddar. And I'm just expecting her like, just mow into this thing or dip it, right? No. She, two fingers and thumb. This is Christy. okay? And it's always, a, takes little pieces off, sets the sandwich down. Grabs the cup, dips a little piece in, makes a bite, sets the cup back down. Grab a sandwich, one piece off. She's very intricate about the way she eats. I know this, why? How, why do I know this? I experienced this. I've experienced far more than just that. She loves it when I tell these stories. Just ask her. I tell that story because I I love her. You can probably see my face light up too, right? I love her. I love those things about her. She also makes up words. Ask her about those too sometime. (laughs) We have a relationship, okay? And that's what you see all over this psalm is David just exalting in his relationship with God, right? David knows how bad of a man he's been. He knows that his God loves him despite that. And his God has restored him, Right? And that God has also promised him eternal life. That's the promise that all of us have in the gospel, is that what happens on this earth does not get the last laugh. Okay, That broken relationship, that family relative who died or is struggling to live, uh, the addiction, whatever it is, they don't get the last laugh. The sin that you just keep struggling with and you're sick and tired of it doesn't get the last laugh you see promises are only as good as the promise maker right promises are only as good as the promise maker a check is only as good as the integrity of the check writer himself so when david says surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and i shall dwell in the house of the lord forever what's he doing here's what i love about this here's what he's doing He's referring to a promise that God literally gave to him. And again, if you go back to the beginning, right, David is writing from his own personal experience about King Jesus, who then points to the fact that God's children will be taken care of. So all of this is written about, by, for us. So there's a promise here that is for us as well. That's, that's my point. What's David referring to when he, when he says this, though? Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The reference is 2 Samuel 7.16. David has a relationship with God. He sat in that Orbeez with God and watched how he ate the sandwich, okay? And this is how God ate the sandwich. You want to hear? God told him in 2 Samuel 7.16, your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So even though David often made the mistake of chasing down his sinful desires, God always brought him back around, right? And God God always brought him back around. He would stick out that crooked stick and pull him back. Maybe would take out that billy club and smack him with it too for good measure. I really don't know. But he would always bring David back in And what would happen is then David would walk in continued repentance. Here's the thing the last thing you see in David's life when he calls out that hit on those two dudes, what do we know about the gospel? Our behavior doesn't define who we are. Okay? God's the one who defines who we are. I I don't know how many of you have been in that moment where you've watched somebody take their last breath. It's not pretty, is it? It's not pretty. Sometimes the things that come out of their mouths is beautiful. Sometimes it's not. I don't know what's happening to David in those final moments, and I shouldn't try to perceive to be like God and actually see David's heart. If Jesus said that David was a man after God's own heart, I think I'm going to trust what Jesus says, right? When you think about our lives in the midst of this, when it comes to walking in repentance, this is what it looks like to not trust in the momentary pleasures of this of this world right it's a trust in god alone it's to trust in his faithful promise and his faithful promise is this if you've trusted in me then you have eternal life with me to the promise of eternal life in god's presence that's the inheritance of every believer that's what you and i have to look forward to so the question is like hey are you and i living in the light of the hope of heaven or are you and I living in the darkness of momentary pleasures? Right? Like, do I know what it means to experience the goodness and the mercy of God on a daily basis, like going to Arby's? Am right? I experiencing that as a relationship? Can I visualize what it's going to be like to live with God in eternity? Man, it's like Sometimes if I could just visualize what that would be like, it's kind of like visualizing taking a ride on a sailboat or flying off a jet ski going 100 miles an hour, something like that. You visualize that and then it's like, oh, that would I don't know what kind of sick person wants to fly off a jet ski at 100 miles an hour, but we can have a conversation about that another time. Can you visualize heaven? Visualize how awesome heaven would That's what David is doing. Like The question is, are you and I living with our eyes on the promise of eternity, or are we living in the stranglehold of the momentary? Are we living with our eyes on the promise of eternity, or living in the stranglehold of the momentary? Are we Are living with our eye on the promise of eternity, or living in the stranglehold of the momentary? One more time. Yeah. Am I living with my eye on the promise of eternity, Or am I living in the stranglehold of the momentary? It's a question just to sit and ponder and just ask, like, Lord, reveal this to me. I'll wrap this up as I stated at the beginning of the message. I am persuaded, I think along with other guys who are far more qualified than I, to say at the 23rd Psalm, I think it's a psalm that was written by King David about King Jesus for God's children, right? Those who belong to King Jesus, if you belong to him, then you and I are able to say, along with King David, that God is my shepherd, that God makes me rest and leads me into peace. That God restores me and leads me into right living. That God removes my fear with His presence. That God provides abundantly despite my enemies. And that God has promised me eternal life with Him. Now, I don't want you to forget either. John 10 seems to give us a great picture here. And it's Jesus. And what does He say in John 10? Verses 11-15 through 15 and 27. That's the reference for you. He says, I am the Good Shepherd. Seems like David was writing about King Jesus. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Not just that he died on the cross, but it's a 24-7 job. Gave his life for that. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. My sheep, listen, hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Those words from Jesus... That's the reminder that He really is the Good Shepherd. He went before us. He gave His life at the cross for us so that we could be rescued from our enemies. Okay? Everything that He has in terms of spiritual inheritance, that's ours. And when He speaks, we are to obediently follow Him into the presence of the Father. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. He gives us rest. He leads us into peace. He restores us from our sinfulness. He leads us into right living. He removes our fear with His presence. What kind of presence? corrective, restorative, protective, right? He provides abundantly despite our enemies. Promises us eternal life with him once we leave this earth. Crossing the empty tomb. What are those? The cross in the empty tomb. That's the seal of his, of his faithfulness over you. Cross in the empty tomb. The seal of his faithfulness proves over and over again that Jesus is the good shepherd. As I wrap up, I want to share one last quick story with you. I, you know, I, like I said at the beginning, I knew you know, we've all heard the 23rd Psalm a gazillion times, right? Uh, even as a minister, I've read this passage you know, over people in the hospitals and, and, uh, and then preached it again at funerals. And I was away this weekend uh, for a men's retreat and uh, get back late last night, zonked, worn out all of us. Um, there are days where I wish the job was a 9-to-5 job. It's not about me i'm just letting you know there are days i wish it was yesterday was one. i went out, not one of those days got a text message at 10 o'clock from an old friend who comes to church here occasionally and um he uh the text just said hey my mom has always wanted you to pray for her before she dies and she's on her deathbed can you come down to the hospital um, sometimes when people call me and tell me that i deep down inside I go okay, enough of these experiences well she may not actually die tonight she may die a couple weeks from now she may Miraculously, get better too. You never know, right? So you, you kind of go well, a little bit cynical in, in my mind. Like, okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna love. Do those things, but don't really know if it's be that bad or not. Walked in, and in a, I don't know, if you've ever had somebody that has passed away, when you walk into that situation, you walk into chaos, right? Especially when it's sudden. And you know, I just I, you know, walked onto the floor, and my friend came out of that room and just fell on me with his arms. The things that he said, I can't even repeat because of the language he was using. He was so afraid, right? His mom's dying. And uh, went into the room and he just said, my mom's waited, been waiting for you to get here. And I literally did what I always do, read Psalm 23 and then prayed for her. And uh, as I was talking to her before and just after that, and her name is Beverly. I said, Beverly, I'm here. I'm going to read this for you. looked up, smiled said thank you my friend, his wife Beverly's brother her husband there was a moment there that felt just like this quiet I said amen she said thank you Within five minutes, she died. Choked to death. Death doesn't have the final word. Because we have a good shepherd who will never leave us or forsake us. He's given us his rod of correction and his staff. His staff of correction, his rod of protection. He gave his life for us at the cross. So that we can now live for him. That's the Good Shepherd. Amen. Would you stand with me? Jesus, as we close, pray that your presence would be well known. We'll come do work in us as we wrap things up. Pray that you would give strength where needed, comfort where needed. Help us to help us to rest. Help us to rest. Comfort and peace in the shadow of that bloody cross. The doorway of that empty tomb. As we hang on to the promise of eternity. Not just in a place that has gold streets and big mansions as every American consumer would love to have. But really the inheritance that we would have you. Because you're far better than gold or silver. I ask that you would do that for us in Jesus' name. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well. A gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.